Hi, welcome to God is Real, God is Good. This is Camus Johnson this week, and this week we have Jonathan Wheeler with us. He, a couple weeks ago you heard from his wife, Matea, and her wonderful story, and so now we have him. Yay. Hi, Jonathan. Thanks for coming. Yeah, um, super excited to be here. Why don't you tell us about where you're from? So I was born in Orlando, Florida. My mom was working at the hospital that I was born in. And um, when I was five years old, uh, due to kind of some family health concerns, on uh, my grandparents' side, I moved up to Wisconsin where I grew up. And uh, then I studied in Michigan and for my undergrad and now I'm in California doing my graduate school. So I've kind of lived in a couple different places. Yeah. Um, I lived as a year as a missionary in Lebanon, so. Yeah, your wife was sharing about that. That's pretty cool. Um, so why don't you tell us a little bit about your religious background growing up? Yeah, so I think I've, I'm like a fourth generation Adventist, I think oh. on both sides. Wow. Uh, and so, I mean, I think like the, the farthest you can go back is maybe like six, maybe seven generations. But yeah. as far as like Adventist circles go, I'm about, I'm pretty much as Adventist as they come. <laughs> Um, I, know. I know, I know that like other of my grandparents, I think were Lutheran at some point before they were Adventists. But yeah, I, I grew up in the church. Um, I didn't go to church schools, but okay. my parents were very active, um, in youth groups and taking us to different Adventist, you know, camp meetings and stuff. So I've, that's, that's kind of been my religious background. Okay. That's really cool. Yeah. I really enjoyed being raised Christian and Adventism in particular. Um, so obviously we want to hear your story, but do you mind if we pray before we got started? Go for it. Dear Father in heaven, thank you for Jonathan and for him being willing to share his story. Just be with him, give him the words, and help us to be uplifting for all of us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Yeah, so like, as I mentioned, I was born in Florida, and my dad had worked at a number of different jobs, but the job that he liked the most was being an airline pilot. And I guess he was working kind of for a private, um, he was kind of the private pilot for the CEO of a bus company uh, near Disney World. And so when I was five and we moved up to Wisconsin, my dad had to look for new work. And he was looking around for a place that would um, allow him to keep, um, keep the Sabbath. And so he wanted to find an employer that would let him be home with his family from Friday sundown until Saturday sundown every single week. Um, okay. In the airline industry, this was kind of unusual. He sent out 30 resumes wow. and didn't hear back from 27 companies. Um, but one of the companies was uh, a company that was very close to uh, Andrews University. It's an Adventist university that, my, that I ended up going to. And when they saw his resume, they said, you know, you sound like a lot of the mechanics that we get from Andrews University. And a lot of these mechanics are, uh, you know, Sabbath keepers. And we have a program that works out with them. We'll just do the same thing for you. And so growing up, my dad, he wound up working for them. They got absorbed kind of by like another country uh, company. Mm -hmm. And he, he was able to keep the Sabbath with them. But for various different reasons, it meant that he had to work some kind of unusual hours for the rest of the week. So growing up, I kind of always had this impression that the Sabbath was a very important thing to my, to my father, especially, but to my entire family. It was mm -hmm. the reason that, you know, I didn't see my dad that much during the week, but I saw him every single weekend. 
and seeing some of the sacrifices that my parents went through um, for religion kind of instilled in me at various points during my youth that was something important to, to do. So for example, when I was in middle school and high school, when it came to like whether or not I would participate in certain school-sponsored sports or math tournaments, um, there was always like a question of like, you know, like Jonathan, will you go to these things? And I said, well, you know, like uh, as a Seventh-day Adventist, I believe that, you know, God's commandments are still important for us. And I still believe that it's important to keep the fourth commandment. Um, and I would explain a little bit what it was and say, oh, well, can't you get, you know, like one of like, your, maybe your pastor to get permission for you to, to go on these things and said, no, it's not really, that's not really how I believe it works. No. And so growing up, like, even though like I was born into an Adventist family and other people were born into Adventist families, I think one of the differentiating things for me was that I saw my parents like really prioritize this and other people in my family really prioritize this. So for me, it was like, this is special. Mm-hmm. And as I grew older, the, the times where I had to make decisions about how important my religion was going to be to me um, were always kind of viewed through that lens. Um, I think that, you know what, a lot of people when they're growing up in Christian households, there's like the phase where it's like your parents' religion. And there's various steps where it goes from being your parents' religion to your religion. And probably one of the earliest um, examples of where this shift happened, happened around my uh, fresh, roughly around the freshman year of high school, uh, Mm -hmm. where a friend, a couple of my friends started getting into playing with Ouija boards. Um, so for those of you who don't know what a Ouija board is, uh, it's kind of a board that you can buy at toy shops. I think they sell them at like Target. Um, Mm -hmm. and it's a flat board that has letters on it and an indicator that can move around. And my parents had taught me that these sorts of things were of the occult, um, linked with demon worship. And I felt like this was just something that I didn't want to get involved with. And so, uh, whenever they would... Uh, start playing with one, I would tell them, hey, guys, uh, I'm not going to tell you what you can and can't do. That's your that's your business. But for me, I'm just not going to be around when you're doing this. And so I would mm-hmm. either leave or I would go like if they were playing in the basement, I would go into the like the kitchen and hang out with their parents until they were, were done playing with it. But one Friday night, I wasn't there. And every Friday night, it was my family's custom to kind of open the Sabbath together. And so we would have like family worship, we would eat together, we would sing, we would read something from the Bible. And the next Monday, I got to school and one of my buddies said, Jonathan, the weirdest thing happened on Friday. And I said, well, tell me more. And they said, you know, we started playing with the Ouija board and we wanted to ask it questions about where everybody was. And this is like, when I was a freshman in high school, this is right when like, almost most, most teenagers were getting like, you know, a, a cell phone. And so they were able to communicate mm-hmm. with each other kind of like for the first time in history. And so they, um, they started asking the Ouija board, you know, what is Brandon up to? And I don't remember the exact details. I never wrote it down. I was, I was a freshman in high school and yeah. didn't think that I wasn't going to, you know, use this for any historical documentation. <laughs> uh, so the details might be a little fudged, but the story is, is true. Um, they would ask the Ouija board, what's Brandon doing? And the Ouija board would spell out something like burger. And they would get on their cell phones. They would text Brandon. Okay, Brandon, what are you doing right now? He's like, oh, I'm at McDonald's. And I'm like, you know, having like a Big Mac or something like that. And they would go back to the Ouija board and they would say, okay, what's Kelly doing right now? And it would spell out like movie. And uh, they would text Kelly and she's like, oh yeah, I'm seeing like the Avengers movie or whatever was coming out freshman year. Mm -hmm. And so they were like, wow, this is, this is pretty great. And so they asked, what, what is Jonathan doing? 
And I don't know what it exactly said, but my friend told me basically the substance of it was that the Ouija board couldn't figure out what we were doing. And I guess when they pressed it uh, to try to figure out like, you know, like, hey, like, what do you mean you don't know? It said that the that whatever it was in the Ouija board couldn't get into the house. Mm. And that's basically how they explained it to me. And, you know, like when I hear this, you know, it kind of still chills up and down your spine because it's like, yeah. you know, the some people's interpretation of a Ouija board is that it's just a toy and people's subconscious move the dial around. Yeah. But for me, looking at it through like my my Christian perspective, it was, you know, we asked God to come and dwell with us to be in our house um, as a family and God's presence drives out the forces of darkness so that they can't, they can't uh, tamper with us. Mm-hmm. So that was kind of like, at the beginning of like my high school experience, kind of like a, a really hard concrete substance. Like, okay, there is for sure something out there. Um, I was growing up believing the Bible. And so I always saw it through those lenses. And I think the next experience where I saw that God was working in my life was when I uh, played for a theater in my local community. There was a community theater and they were doing a, um, a production of like Tom, Tom Sawyer and Huckleberry Finn. Mm-hmm. And I was in the pit orchestra. I was a musician and they paid me $25 per performance. And I wound up doing 10 performances with them. And so I got a lump sum of $250. And this yeah. is kind of like the, the, the biggest, like I had like mown lawns before, but this is like a, the most money that I ever had at one time. And so I was thinking, what am I going to do with it? And so I said, well, I'm going to definitely tithe on it. I'm going to give, you know, 10% uh, to my church. But mm-hmm. then the rest of it, I should probably save some for college. And I guess I've been wanting to have shoes for a while. Uh, so all my buddies were walking around wearing these Converse shoes. And I said, you know, I'd, I'd like to have a pair of those. And I had in my mind that I wanted to be like black with the white stitching. But I didn't want to buy them because they were like expensive shoes. I wanted to like get kind of like an off-brand version of them. Mm-hmm. And so I had like formulated all this in my mind, but I had never actually like checked the price on them. So I assumed that they were going to be like $60. So while I'm ruminating all of this, I had never told anybody my desire to have these shoes. Um, I was at church one day and a person got up on the platform and was talking about how our church had been working with several students from Malawi. And in Malawi, $100 for shoes goes a lot farther than $100 in America. And they were looking for people to have donations specifically for shoes in Malawi. And so I said, well, Lord, you know that I want shoes, but you also know that you have a work in Malawi and shoes are helpful there. How about mm-hmm. I put the amount that I had intended to buy myself for shoes, put in the offering plate for your work in Malawi. And if you want me to have shoes, you'll find a way for me to get the shoes. So I wrote a check out for $60 and I said, if God wants me to get the shoes, he'll find a way. I don't remember if it was the next day, or, but it was definitely within the next two weeks that I went to school and a friend of mine named Elijah came to me. And Elijah, not knowing I had any desire for shoes, not knowing that I had put any money into that offering plate, he said, hey, Jonathan, the shoes that you're wearing right now look kind of old. What size do you wear? And I told him my size. I said, I've got a gift for you. So the next day he brings me a plastic bag and I open it up and it is the exact like style, color, stitching brand that I had been thinking about getting. Wow. And I asked him if I could pay him for it. And he said, no, it's yours. And I said, I have to ask. Otherwise, I'm good. this is going to gnaw me forever. But do you remember per chance what you spent on these? 
And he said, I spent $20 on them, but you can have them. I've worn them only once. So I said, all right, God can get discounts. That's not bad. <laughs> um, but then I found out, I guess the next year, I wore those shoes almost every day for a year. And he said about the next year, Jonathan, those shoes are getting worn out. You still wear the same size. I said, yep. And so he, the next day he said, Jonathan, I have these $60 pairs of shoes that I bought. I wore them once. I'm not going to use them again. Here you go. And so I said, all right, God's walking out for me. He can get the right style and he can get the right price. And so I guess ever since then, I've never, like, I've, I've seen that, A, you can't outgive God. Mm-hmm. And the reason why God gives us money is not because he needs it, but because he needs our heart. And he wants our heart to prioritize his work and his stewardship. Then he knows that he can trust us and that he'll clothe us and he'll give us shoes and there will never be any problem. Mm-hmm. But that's kind of been the pattern uh, as far as like giving for my entire life that every time, like even like a couple months ago, uh, my wife and I, we decided that we were going to give 10% tithe and 10% offering um, towards our local church. We had a couple verses in the Bible and we saw that in the Old Testament, the Israelites kind of had a practice like this. They would give 10% for the Levites mm-hmm. and 10% just for festivals at kind of at a more local level. And so we said, we want to do this. And before then, we had been doing about 15%. So 10% tithe, 5% offering. Mm-hmm. And um, when we started going from 15% to 20% total, my wife got a raise so that our total money after tithes and offerings was exactly the same. Oh, and it was within yeah. a month of us deciding to make that shift. So... It's, so cool. it's kind of an interesting that, yeah, God has always just tracked us as far as our giving, that every time we've been more generous, it's always come back in. Mm-hmm. That's awesome. Uh, I had never really had a personal devotional life um, prior to probably my junior year, I think my senior year of, of high school. And my mom had said, Jonathan, we really can't afford to put you through college, like Christian college without loans. But some of our friends told us that if you take a lot of AP exams, advanced placements exams, and you score high enough, a lot of colleges will waive certain credit requirements. And so, for example, uh, they said that the, you know, the university that I was planning on going to had a limit of 32 class credits that you could waive. And so it was roughly about $1,000 a credit at the time. So the idea was if I can pass enough exams to waive 32 credits worth of classes, that's a savings of $32,000. And so I said, hey, you know, for $32,000, I'm willing to do a lot. I'm going to start studying. And a friend of mine was also, a couple of friends of mine also were like kind of formulating this plan at the same time. So it wasn't just like my mom's idea. It was, you know, quite a few people's ideas. Mm -hmm. And so... I had signed up to take six AP exams. Uh, we were basically taking like a shotgun approach where we were going to say exams are cheap. We're just going to, you know, even if we're not taking like AP chemistry, we're just going to go to the library, get the book. And if we get a five, we get a five. If we get, if we get a three, then we're out, you know, a hundred, two hundred dollars but no more about chemistry. And so other friends were like signing up for three, maybe four, but nobody was signing up for six. And in fact, my high school counselor said, Jonathan, I think this is going to be a record. Uh, you know, just have fun. Don't worry about the pressure. Like the fact that you're attempting this many is, is commendable. But I said to myself, you know, there is no way that I'm going to score well enough on all of these exams in order to, you know, waive the class credits. Yeah. Um, and all of my friends are studying, you know, pretty much all their spare time, seven days a week. 
but I, you know, kind of with the money, like calling, you know, like God calls, God calls people to, you know, make it his believers to make it on 90% instead of a non-believers making it a hundred percent. And God calls, you know, his people to be as productive with six days out of the week as other people are with seven days out of the week. So I said, God, I've never had a personal devotional life up until now. And one of the concerns I had was that, you know, like time in the morning or time in the evening for devotions is going to take up time. But how about this? I'm going to carve out time for prayer in the morning and to read two chapters of the Bible every day. And I know that if this is important to you, you'll find ways to make up the difference like you have in the past with other things. And so that was kind of like my bargain with God. I said, I'm going to have a personal devotional life and you're going to make up the difference with my studying. And so I tried to fit in studying anywhere I could. Uh, whenever my parents were driving around town and I was in the backseat of the car, I had a calculus textbook open. I think the calculus textbook pretty much stayed in the back of the car. And that's where I studied calculus. Um, I remember one example. I was in line to play first violin in my area youth symphony but they asked if anybody could play upright bass and i said well i can play upright bass and so they stuck me in the bass section which for me was kind of disappointing because it's way more fun to play violin you do more playing violin than you do with bass and a lot of times like bass you know some of the songs are just doing nothing you have like these long periods of times where you're just like resting but then i realized why it happened because now all of a sudden during you know instrumental like rehearsals when they said all right violins go play that section again okay and the rest of the guys you guys can just take a break for a few minutes while we hash this this run out i would have my computer science textbook open there and i'd be like all right i'm gonna i'm just gonna study for the computer science text um so it finally came down to the week where you know all the ap exams were and i think there was one maybe two exams where i did like virtually no studying at all um, I think I didn't do any preparation for the uh, AP composition exam. I had signed up for it, but I just, I said, you know, I just don't have time to prepare and I'm going to prepare for the other five rather than the sixth one. And I think with like AP bio, like I had taken a class, but it mm -hmm. wasn't targeted for the AP bio test. And so I really only had like one or two days to study for that. So I went into this knowing that like, at best, I'll probably score well on four of these, but not in all six. Mm -hmm. um, but it just so happened that like when I took the exams, the exams seemed to have questions which I had already been preparing for, or maybe it was that when I sat down to do the studying, I selectively seemed to study the things that were going to be on the exam. And when I finally got the results back at the middle of the summer, I had gotten a, like the five, so they are scored on a scale of one to five, and I had gotten a five on every single AP exam that I had signed up for. Wow. And when I looked at that, I was like, all right, now I can tell that like, not only does God take like tithes and offerings seriously, he also takes like Sabbath seriously. He also takes personal devotion seriously. And it's like, you know, if anybody ever challenges me on whether or not like I can prove a God exists, mm -hmm. there are these philosophical arguments that you can make, like, you know, the argument of the first mover or, you know, what existed before the big bang or, you know, the improbability of the universe being so ordered or the fine tuning arguments and all these things are nice, but they're no substitute for being able to say, you know, these things have happened to me in my journey. And there is, I mean, other than I'm really smart, I get raises at very coincidental times. I have friends that just donate shoes to me at coincidental times. I have friends tell me about Ouija boards that are doing that are not working when I'm praying. Um, 
it's it's just hard to explain all of that through just a, a stack of coincidences. Mm-hmm. The I think probably the last thing I want to share here um, for our meeting today is a story that happened to me when I was a missionary in Lebanon. Um, we had been working at a school that was um, run by the church, but many of the students were either like agnostic or had like some sort of nominal faith. Um, they were like aware of like the the core teachings of like Christianity, but in Lebanon, because it's kind of like a melting pot mm-hmm. of a lot of different cultures. I mean, every major like world civilization has probably at one point had some influence over Lebanon, whether it's the Persians or the Greeks or the Romans or the French or the Americans. Like Lebanon has been so influenced by so many different cultures that it's that its ideas of like religion and culture are very, very mixed. Mm. And so we decided that we wanted to have kind of a Saturday morning, um, like Bible study with the students. And so we told them, Hey, if you guys will come out and uh, study the Bible with us, we'll, um, we'll make you a pancake breakfast. And so we, we made arrangements with the school administration to have a, um, a car come and pick us up from where we were staying, which is about two miles away up the top of kind of on the top of a mountain uh, to pick us up so that we would have time to get all the pancakes and uh, all the uh, other things fixed up just right. So on Saturday morning, we line up at around 845 at the top of the mountain. Um, it was It was me, the Bible teacher, and the Bible teacher's wife. And we're standing there with just maybe like 40 pounds of different griddles and mixes and orange juice. And normally we walked to school, but it was too far for us to walk. Um, and on that terrain with that much weight, it just wouldn't have been feasible. And mm-hmm. so we're waiting, we're waiting. Uh, we're looking at our watches. There's no car coming. We don't have, over there, we didn't have cell service. So we didn't have any means of calling anybody. And we didn't know exactly who was in charge of coming to pick us up. So we didn't even know where to, where to start. But at around like, I can't remember the exact time, but probably right when we felt like it was about time for us to like try to find someone else or like call this, go back to our dorms and email the students that we couldn't make it. Um, a car came rolling up to the entrance of the compound where we were staying. And it's the compound was at the end, like of a, like a, of a road. There was really nothing else there. And they knew that it was largely Adventists that lived at the compound. And so they knew at like 9am on a Saturday morning, there's probably not going to be anybody looking for a taxi. The car didn't have a taxi sign on it. Um, we didn't recognize the person, but they said, hey, are you guys trying to go to Bushria? Which was, it was the name of the neighborhood in the, where the school was located, but it was also the name of the school. Um, and we, you know, we looked at each other. It was like, yeah, we're trying to go there. Did somebody send for you? It's like, no, nope. uh, hop on in. And so we get into the car and he starts driving down the mountain and we're making small talk as we're going down mm-hmm. uh and we're asking him's like oh well tell us something about you like what's your name he's like oh my name's christian they're like okay christian like what do you do for work he's like oh i'm a, I'm a student at the um at the american school of beirut i think that was its name i, I can't remember exactly but he was a student at some university mm-hmm. um and we asked him what he was studying and none of us can i've asked the other people who were in the car if they remember the details but they they said it was had to do something with like anthropology or maybe sociology. Uh, we got to the bottom of the, of the hill 
he dropped us off at the school and we said, do you mind if we, if we pay you? Um, normally we, you know, wouldn't take a taxi, but we felt this guy had come and picked us up and we felt it would have been rude if he actually was a taxi driver to not offer to pay him. It says, yeah. no, 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 I know that you guys don't, you know, do, like, do stuff on like business on Sabbath. It's okay. Just, you know, have a great day. And as soon as he drove away, it's almost as if the, re- the three of us that were there all had this like realization or this hypothesis at the same time that we hadn't had prior. We looked at each other and we we're just like, I think that that could have been an angel. And we started like putting together like the different reasons. We we're like, first of all, um, the, the, the ch- we, I've never, like none of us had ever stood at the top of that hill outside the compound and had somebody that didn't have a taxi sign ask us if we wanted the ride. Um, second of all, the timing was almost impeccable. Third of all, if he were an angel, um, his identity or his cover story was like pretty, pretty good, right? Uh, if you were an angel and God said, hey, I don't care exactly the specifics, just go give these three people a ride. Um, you can make up your own identity. You know, he's like driving there. He's like, what's your name? He's like, oh, what's my name? Uh, Christian, that's a good name. Um, and then, you know, it's like, oh, what do you do for a living? He's like, hmm, how can I couch that I'm, you know, watching you know, God's people here on earth. Well, I guess I study people uh, and that could be like anthropology or sociology. Mm-hmm. And so we were si- there are only so many Adventists in Beirut. Um, and because there were so few of us, we, we all knew each other. And so because nobody had ever seen this person before or after, we were like, okay, pretty sure he's not an Adventist and the chances of a non-taxi driver coming up, picking us up are very small. So... My working, I don't, I don't have any confirmed evidence that this is an angel, but that's my working story. And maybe someday when I get to heaven, um, you know, the guardian angel is going to come and tap me on the shoulder and ask me if I remembered that, that taxi driver. Oh, so yeah, those are, those are kind of some, some stories and some highlights. I could go on and on with some, you know, smaller things that you could probably reason away as being coincidental, but those are kind of the main highlights. That's awesome. Like, even in the small moments of our life, or like just these little baby steps, like God is still there and always providing and always faithful. Indeed. Yeah. So, I mean, I'm only, I'm only like 27 and a half right now. Mm-hmm. And so this is, I'm looking forward to more and more, you know, fun stories like this. Mm-hmm. Especially like as you grow in your walk, God will do more and more. No, definitely. That's awesome. Well, thank you for sharing. I think that was all you wanted to share, correct? Yeah. Thank you for sharing. It was really a blessing, at least for me, because I think we as Christians so often forget like just those small little moments or like we don't share those little stories that like might not mean as much to us because we've heard them or we've said them or we lived them. But no, I think it's really cool. Like God working through those small little things all the time, staying with us and providing. Thank you for sharing and thank you for being on our podcast and for this. It was logistical issues but we figured it out (laughs) so thank you yes we did (laughs) all right so this has been this week's episode of god is real god is good tune in next week